You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from Jess Conley. Y'all can have a seat. Listen, your girl's on a time limit. There's some people that think that I can't get this done in a reasonable amount of time. I need to know that you believe in me. Okay, do you believe in me? Okay, let's go. Here's my question. Does God do good things in your life because he loves you and he wants good for you? Or does God do good things, bring good things to your life to bless others? Does God do good things in your life just for you, just because he loves you and just because you're special to him? Or does he allow and bring good things into your life for the benefit of many? You don't have to answer that question. The truth is, I think all of us kind of fall on a different spectrum of believing that. And I think a lot of us might have like a Bible answer, a churchy answer of like both. Um, But I think honestly, if we're honest, most of us, when we open our eyes, we might see Um, a predilection toward one of those beliefs or the other. Like God does good things for me because I'm special to him and he thinks about me all the time and he always has a good plan for me and he gives me the exact right bagel that I wanted and the parking spot that I wanted. Or we think like, it's not really about me, it's like about the larger story and I don't need to stress so much about me. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like, but first I wanna tell you guys a story. So um, in my day job, I get to coach people and I get to coach people who are taking the next step in their career or their calling or their God-given gifting. And one tool that I often use in my coaching is a little woo-woo, but I'm going to tell you about it. I do this meditative session where I help people kind of really just imagine and tap into their own desire. So I'm, I'm really helping them just think about what they want. Um, But we use it as a meditative session. And so sometimes genuinely, because I believe God does this and can do this, sometimes it turns a little prophetic. And I've had times where it's really powerful and like genuinely something prophetic happens and someone says something that they want or that they see in their life and they step into it. And I've had times where I do the session and I say like, what did you see? And they say, yellow. And I'm like, well, okay, that was... That wasn't it, but that's okay, it happens, it does both. So I'm usually the one leading the session, I'm never the one doing the session. And then two years ago, in 2019, fall 2019, I had a friend in town who also knew how to lead the session, and she was like, hey, let me lead you through it, because it's been a long time since you've done this. Let's stir up and see what you want, see what your desires are. So I did the session, and I really had this kind of beautiful vision, whatever you wanna call it, you can call it prophetic, you can call it imagination, whatever it was, I had this really beautiful vision Um, And in the vision, I knew I was on the beach and I was looking at a house and I could see my family in it. And um, I knew instinctively that we were ending a sabbatical. And if you don't know where pastors take sabbaticals, typically every seven years, they get away for a little bit. And so when I was describing it later, I would tell people, I, I thought that it was our next sabbatical. We were supposed to take a sabbatical in 2020, but in this like vision that I saw the year before that, I thought it was our next sabbatical that would be like 2027. And the reason why I thought that is because we already had our plans for our 2020 sabbatical, and I knew we weren't going to the beach. We were actually, we were going to see my dad who lives in Bangkok, and we were going to do other things. And also in the vision, I didn't think it was 2020 
because my oldest son looked really old. Well, that happened. So what happened is I, I'm having this beautiful vision. and All that really happened is I was standing on the beach and I was looking at the house and I could see my family inside and I was happy. I knew I was happy. And I heard God say this one phrase, I would have done all of this just for you. I would have done all of this just for you. And I'll tell you, like, if there's a spectrum of, like, people who think, like, God does everything just for me because he loves me, and people who are like, I, God does everything because he loves the whole world, I tend to lean toward, like, the whole world side. Um, I know God loves me. I know he specifically loves me. Um, but I tend to think about the collective. So when I walk in on a Sunday morning, I'm not really thinking about how I feel. I'm thinking about how everybody feels, you know? Um, but so that was just such an interesting thing for God to say to me. I would have done all of this just for you. I would have done all of this just for you. Well, fast forward, that was in 2019 that I had that vision. 2020 came. Guess who didn't go to Bangkok? Us, um, because there was a pandemic. And so we ended up like, we're like, we still want to get away for a sabbatical. And this opportunity came for us to go stay at this beach house. Also, in that period of time, that one year period of time, my son turned into a man child. And what happened is in the first few days, I I didn't think about that vision. I didn't think about it while we were planning the trip. I didn't ever ever pull it up. But what happened is in the first few days of our sabbatical, if you're someone like me who loves work, who loves mission, who loves getting stuff done, who loves like feeling like I get to change the world and use what I've got for the good of others and the glory of God and just wringing out every second of my day, For other people, what happened is all of a sudden we were on sabbatical and we were at a beach house and there was no one and we couldn't help anyone and we weren't seeing anyone and we left our laptops at home and we were off social media and I was tail spinning of like, am I, do I matter? Like what, who am I when I'm not working? Who am I when I'm not producing? And do I matter to anyone if I'm not helping them? Do I matter? Like, what's the, what is life? And so one night we were, I was in the middle of that tailspin. Nick and I talk about it still. He didn't go on the same tailspin I did. I, I was like, just losing it. And uh, we were on the beach one night and I was looking up at the house and the kids were all inside and I had gone on a walk and I was like, oh my God is real. I'm literally like living that vision. It was the same house. And, and then all of a sudden that message of God saying, I would have done all of this just for you was wildly impactful because I I just suddenly sensed like all of the mission, all of the the life-changing stuff, all of the work, all of the abundance, like he wanted it specifically for me. Like he, he didn't want it from me. He wanted life for me and he wanted rest for me, all these good things. And it was just this, like all of a sudden I could see the matrix, right? And I was like, I can live in both countries. Like I, it's about what he wants to do in me and it's about what he wants to do through me. And it's both of these things all at once. Has anyone ever had a moment like that where all of a sudden you're like, this thing I didn't understand, I think I understand now. And so that's what happened. And so we have been in this series called House of Love. And we've been talking about all different types of relationships. But here's what I want to say really specifically. God wants you to experience abundance in your relationships for you because he loves you. 
God wants you to experience abundance in your relationships for you because he loves you. He wants you to have people around you that help you experience the kingdom of heaven brought to earth. He wants you to experience a little bit of heaven on earth in your relationships. He wants that for you because he loves you and he has good things for you. But also at the same time, God wants you to experience abundance in your relationships because it changes the world around you when you do. And we've been talking about house of love and what it looks like for the church to be a house of love. And I'm gonna just hit just a few things that I think are opportunities for us to have relationships that change the world. But I wanna just say, I wanna grab your face and I wanna grab your heart and I wanna say like, this is it. You know when people talk online and they do the clapping emoji in between words? Imagine that. This is it. How we love people is it. How we love each other is it. The reason why the world thinks the church is nuts is because we're getting this wrong. Clapping emoji. This is it. And what's more, honestly, I think a lot of us are missing out on understanding the kindness and the goodness and the healing of God because we're not experiencing abundance in our relationships, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships. So I wanna just hit a few, few, few things from Genesis. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 12. If you're on your phone, you can open it there too. We're gonna be just in 12 and 13. Um, And we're looking at the life of Abraham who God established to grow his people out of. He picked this man, Abram, and his wife, Sarah, and he said, I'm gonna change your names. I'm gonna make you a blessing. I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to bring a people out of you. And I literally just want to capture three really quick things that we see in the story of Abraham. So this is Genesis chapter 12. The first few verses say this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's the deal. God is talking to Abraham about his family. And some of you are like, oh, I'm not in a family or like I live alone. And so I wanna tell you like for the sake of this message, we're your family. Also, we are, just we are. And so let's, let's talk big picture vision. Let's talk like things that make us excited about the family of Bright City. What we believe God has asked us to do, what we believe he's told us is that in the next five years, we're gonna see a thousand people commit to living out the way of the Bright in three different locations. We're trying to get used to saying that. We believe that in the next five years, God's gonna bring a thousand people to live out the way of the bright in three different locations. That's what he has for our family. That's what he's asked us to move towards. And so we believe that he has blessed us to be a blessing. We believe that some of the good stuff that's happening in here is genuinely going to impact and affect other people. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's continue on in Abraham's story. I'm gonna skip to Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. So this is what happens after God comes to Abraham and says like, 
I'm going to hook you up. I love you. I've seen you. I'm going to establish a family for you. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to bless you so that other people will be blessed. It's going to be great. Trust me. One thing that's always important in any time God establishes covenant or promise with people is that you continually see God saying to him, I'm going to do it. 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 And I want to say, Bright City, in the name of Jesus, when we talk about our family, I want you to know he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. We're not going to earn it. We're not going to scrap for it. We're not going to strive for it. He's going to do it because it's his idea. Because he wants people to know his name and live under his promises. So Genesis 12, 10 through 20, this is what happens when people begin to doubt the promises of God, which we all do. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, then her name was Sarah, it later got changed to Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's nice. Um, When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you're my sister, so I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt... The Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, also kind. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram required sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Abraham summoned Abram, so Pharaoh summoned Abram, Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram comes to Egypt. He goes to this place, and what he does is he works with a set of preconceived notions about what's going to happen. And he acts out of fear and defeat, and he lies. And because he lies, what do we see? Not only does it impact his intimacy with the God who had established him and promised all these things for him because he experiences doubt and fear, but also it messes things up for other people, right? It messes things up for other people. How, how many of you think God does not like it when people are trading out their wives? He's not a fan of that. That's not his, that's not his favorite thing. So it messes up the culture and the community for others. So let me say this really specifically to you, to us, Bright City. When you struggle with and agree with fear, defeat, doubt, and prejudice, it hurts you and it hurts the people around you. Now, by the grace of God, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. So we've all been there. We've all struggled with this. We all probably currently struggle with it. I'm going to give you a few different scenarios. How many of you would agree there are certain prejudices that are no longer um, acceptable? Amen. Racism. Uh, There's certain ones that we like still need to press into. Racism. Um, But then there are other ones that are super acceptable. Super acceptable. Especially in the church. Certain ways we write people off, and make decisions about them. Let me just read a few of these to you. Hey, to my single friends, 
Maybe you're missing out on the right relationship because you're idealizing the kind of person that you need to be with. Maybe you did that potentially damaging thing where you like wrote like, he'll have brown hair and he'll play the guitar and he'll be six foot four. And I I just want to say as a sister who's married, like God loves you and he cares about your desires and he wants to put good desires in your heart. But let me tell you this over and over again. What you need is a man who refills the contact case because he sees that you're out. This says like, baby, your contact's been dry for days. I just put some contact juice in there for you because I love you. Let me tell, right? Amen. Isn't that what they need? That's what you need. That's what you need. You need a man who in the middle of the night when you're like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the baby crying, but you did and you're lying is like, it's okay, baby. I got it. I got the baby. I'll go take care of the baby. That's what you want. Maybe tear that little list up. You know what I'm saying? Maybe say like, God, you, you wrote my desires and you care about my desires, but what I really want is a man who loves you. Men, what I really want is a, is a woman who loves you. I'm not, I'm not expecting her to be perfect. I actually expect her to not be perfect. I actually expect her to have hard days. I actually expect him to experience defeat. I expect him to need God. I expect her to need God. But oh, wouldn't it be nice if he filled up the contact case for you? Get you a man that does that. Thank you, Nick Connolly. Maybe you're missing out. Mm-hmm. Y'all with me? Maybe close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just do it. Maybe you're missing out on friendships because you're assuming that the people around you aren't your type. Or maybe you are deciding that they've already rejected you. I see this so often at Bright City. That's why I asked you guys to close your eyes, but you can open them now if you really want to. I honestly see this so often at Bright City. I hear people so often saying they feel rejected and by a way of deciding, like these people are not for me, these people do not pursue me, these people don't like me, they're not on my team. Because they do that, they actually never pursue anyone. And then, and they're by an effect like rejecting them. So if we can, in the name of Jesus, don't make this moment about other people, but say like, how do I do that too? How have I written people off because they have blonde hair? Or how have I written people off because they have a different job? Or because they live in a different part of town? Or because they're a different age group? Abundance happens when we look at everybody and and we say like, I can learn from you, I can grow with you, and I can have fun with you. I'm gonna tell you, I have decided in my mind, I can have fun with any of y'all. I will have fun with any of you. Maybe your marriage is suffering because of unforgiveness and even defeat toward the other person. Maybe you have decided like they cannot grow, they will not change, they will not get better, this is who they are. And maybe because you are continually speaking that over them or even just speaking it in your heart, you never look for their growth, you never look for their change and you never speak it into them. From a marriage perspective, I will give you this number one tool that has changed our marriage and we didn't make it up, we learned it from other people. Speak life over your spouse and tell them who they are in Jesus' name. Instead of saying, which I am telling you, I am the chief of all sinners I have done. Instead of saying like, you're a bad leader, say you are a great leader. I love being led by you. I I, I don't know how men feel, but I do know that I think a lot of men are really tired of being told they're not good leaders. And there's been an incredible pressure put on them and some idyllic picture of what it means to lead. Like, you're showing up, you're trying, bless you. 
Maybe we can just stand beside them and say, you're a great leader. I love to be led by you. Thank you for trying. Thanks for trying again. Same, husbands, toward your wives. Speak life over them. Tell them who they are in their most vulnerable moments. Let them be weak with you and let them say, like, I'm terrified I'm this. I'm terrified I'm that. I told somebody the other day, I think the last three date nights, I've, like, cried a little bit and told Nick, like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm good at this particular thing. And every single time he's been like, you are. You are. You're good. You're good. Keep going. In the name of Jesus, wouldn't it be wild if the marriages of Bright City were people were where people got the most equipped and empowered and life spoken over them instead of defeat and wild unforgiveness? Maybe you're making assumptions about entire people groups and that's keeping you from seeing them the way God sees them. Again, we know, that, we know that racial prejudice is like the one that we don't accept anymore, but there are a lot others. And I think that we have to ask ourselves, like, is, am, I, am I prejudiced against the way certain people look? Am I prejudiced against um, their particular types of jobs or different parts of their lifestyle or how they spend their money? You know what's in your heart and what's in your mind. And the great thing is, is that there is refreshment after repentance. And we say like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I don't wanna think about people like that anymore. I don't wanna think about it, this entire group of people based on how how I think they vote or where I think they, what I think they do in their free time. I just want to love them and hope the best in them. All right, let's continue on in Genesis. Genesis 13, I'm going to skip around verses 1 through 18. But what we know, number one, is that the way that we fear, experience fear, defeat, doubt, and prejudice will hurt us and will rob others. Here's what we see in, Abra in, I'm sorry, in Abraham's story in Genesis 13. What happens next? So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. What we know is that Lot ended up picking the portion of land that looked the best. So Abram says like, listen, I don't want to fight with you. I'm not going to fight with you, Lot. You tell me where you want to go. You go there and I'll go the other direction. So Lot ends up picking the part of the land that looks best to him. But what do you know? The land that's left over is actually what God had already promised to Abram. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. What we know later is that Lot then experiences extreme like trauma and sin and generational issues in the land that he picked that looked good to him. But God took care of Abraham when he said like, I don't wanna fight with you. I'm not gonna fight with you. You do what you want. You take what you need. 
And so here's what I wanna tell you, and that is what we can learn from Genesis 13, and that is that the way that you handle conflict, Bright City, the way that we handle conflict can change the world and can change the way we experience God. Again, conviction, because I'm in this with you. This is what the church is not handling well. Number one, the cool thing about the gospel is that it gives us this solid ground to stand on. People are going to screw up. People are going to hurt you. People are going to make mistakes. It's um, Kristen and I were talking about marriage and we were saying like, man, isn't it such a gift that you get to go into marriage with the gospel? Not saying like, you complete me. You're gonna fix me. You're everything I've ever needed. You're the perfect man. But going in and saying like, you need God and I need God too. We're gonna need God beside each other for a minute. In the same way, this is how we go into friendships. I remember the very first time a friend said something to me that I realized, I was in college, and I remember it was the first time I realized, I was like, this this isn't it. Uh, I had let her down, and I'm gonna be full, full disclosure, I had let her down doing something that was not sinful, but it was an expectation that she had of me that I didn't complete. And I let her down and I I talked to her about it and she said, I'm gonna be honest with you, um, you're gonna have to earn your trust back with me. And I was only 18, I was not very emotionally or mentally mature, but in that conversation I was like, "I I don't think that's the gospel. I don't know that that's how, I don't think that's how God talks to people. I know it's not how he talks to me. I screw up every day and then he's like, here, let me entrust you with a little bit more. Like, keep your heart soft and keep and try again tomorrow. Amen? And so things change wildly, not just in our dating and romantic relationships. When we let people need God, when we expect them to sin, and then we give them space to actually repent and be sorry. But also in our friendships, when we say, like, listen, I did not expect that you were going to be perfect. I did not expect that your intentions were going to be right all the time. I actually kind of expected at some point you were going to do something pretty selfish and say something pretty stupid, and God's accounted for it. And I can handle it. Now, listen, this is a whole other conversation. That doesn't mean that we continually consent to people hurting us. That doesn't mean we continually consent to people hurting us. That doesn't mean we continually consent to people hurting us because that's bad for them and bad for us. When we continually consent to people doing damage in our lives, we are not loving God. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. That's not even the gospel. I think actually sometimes the most gospel-centered thing we can do is say like, that hurt, that thing you're doing is hurtful. Please stop. In our family, we, we say, ouch. Like the adults in my family have learned the power of saying to each other like, ouch. That thing you said was hurtful. And we're not critiquing each other and we're not like holding each other to some crazy standard, but we are admitting like, you're a sinful human and you say sinful things. And sometimes I just need you to say sorry and and let's all try again and walk in the newness of the gospel. Conflict doesn't mean something is broken. It means something is real. Conflict doesn't mean something is broken. It means something is real. And so I want to speak for 30 seconds to the idea of church hurt because I know we've all experienced it. I actually asked Nick for the permission to say that I believe that we've experienced the most rejection at Bright City. And he said, don't make it a competition. So I won't make it a competition. I won't stack it up. But I'm going to tell you, if you are like, listen, I've experienced church hurt. I've experienced rejection in the church. Yeah, me too, sister, brother. Yeah, me too. A lot. 
But somewhere along the way, I decided that it was better to start being a part of the solution. And at some point I realized that when I showed up acting rejected every single day, I was actually rejecting everybody else. And at some point I realized that when I showed up every day saying like, I'm scared this is gonna, I'm scared I'm gonna get hurt again. I'm scared somebody's gonna hurt me again. I'm scared so-and-so's gonna do something wrong. That I lived into that and I missed out on being a blessing to everyone who was actually just in my midst. I couldn't love anyone because I was so busy just fearing and working through defeat and not handling conflict in a godly and a hopeful way. The gospel is countercultural, and outside of these walls, when people mess up, we don't know what to do with it. We do cancel them, or we say, like, that's just who they are now, or we call them toxic. And again, I'm, I'm not proposing that we continually let actually hurtful people hurt us. We use boundaries in a healthy way. But I am saying that inside the church, we expect people to fail. And inside our marriages, we expect people to sin. That doesn't become the final straw with us. I love this piece about Abram that he says, like, I trust God enough to let you pick what you pick. And I just think it takes so much trust in God for us to work through conflict well. It takes so much trust in God for us to say, like, do you know how much trust it takes in God to say you're sorry? To not wait for someone to tell you what you've done is hurtful and instead to go to them and be like, actually, I know that. I know that was it. That was not right. That takes so much trust in the gospel and in grace. It takes so much trust in God to not walk into every space or every relationship assuming that you're gonna have things taken from you, but instead willingly live into the abundance that you are already experiencing and saying like, you can have it. I, you, don't, you don't have to take encouragement from me, I'm gonna give it to you. You don't have to take affection from me, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm going to give it willingly because God has been generous with me. Here's the last thing. I want to just go back to those first few words of Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. I think, I believe in the name of Jesus that God is doing good things at Bright City. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have seen in your marriages and in your friendships and in your relationships, I've seen you show up and try again. I've seen you trust. I've seen you speak life over each other. I don't know every one of your individual stories. I don't know what kind of hurt you're coming from. But I believe that God is doing a good thing, and I believe that he's being generous here with us. And I think that we will experience so much more abundance if we can take that and ask him what we can do with it and how we can change the world. Something shifted in Nick and I's marriage a few years ago, um, and uh, we, we we never mind talking about it. We'll tell you, like, Uh, zero to seven was like kind of wild. Seven to 10 was like, you didn't want to know us. Sorry, kids. It was rough. Um, Any of our friends who were around for that were like, you would say yes. Kristen was actually Nick's assistant for a while, and she saw us get in so many fights like in 
church meetings. It was not healthy. It was not good. We were like working out a lot of tension. We were working out a lot of um, roles and who we are and, and what's good. But something happened in that 70, 10 year span where we became wildly united around this cause that we want to see people shine bright for Jesus. And, and we think that that happens. We think that we're doing that, whether we're washing dishes or changing baby's diapers or writing books or teaching the Bible or cleaning the bathrooms at church or sweeping the floors or arranging chairs or talking to our neighbors or prayer walking or serving at the warming shelter or traveling. And we just decided like we are about this mission and we're gonna be united about this idea that any good thing God brings to us, we're gonna send it back out for his glory, for the good of others. Like we're gonna be united around this mission. And I'm going to tell you that it's just like last week when we talked about purity and we talked about like doing pure things instead of trying not to do impure things. When you decide in your marriages, in your dating relationships, in your friendships, we are going to be about the good of others. We know in the name of Jesus that God would have done all of this just for us. He would have given us this friendship. He would have given us this relationship, this marriage, because he loves us and he wants abundance for us. But more than that, We're going to be united around actually serving and changing the world and blessing other people and using every ounce of joy and peace and love and adventure that we have. We're going to turn it back around and give it away. Everything changes. There's nothing to fight about. We do still sometimes, but there's a lot less to fight about when you just decide like, we just want our lives and our relationship wrung out for the glory of God to be used for other people. I think God's doing good things here at Bright City. I think he's growing good things in the relationship. I think there's more abundance on the table for us. If we all get around each other and we look at each other in the eyes and we're like, okay, those thousand people, we need to go get them. We need to bring them into this. We need to fight our own fear and defeat and discouragement and prejudice against each other. And we need to create a space in here where people come into expectation and hope. We need to handle our conflict well. As sisters and brothers and wives and husbands, like we need to handle this well. We need to do it in the, under the banner of the gospel. We need to speak truth to each other and we need to forgive each other and just say like, it's okay, you get to be a new person tomorrow. You get to be a new person tomorrow. I don't remember that thing you did yesterday. Tomorrow you get to be new. Today, starting today, you get to be new. That's what the gospel says. And if we decide we're going to be united by that idea that we are blessed to be a blessing, I do genuinely believe we will see revival in our city. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we got... We have, we have hurt and, and discouragement and defeat and years of pain that we could sure use healing from. And your word tells us with just one word, with just one look, with just one touch from you, that you can do it. And we genuinely believe that you want healing for us that you want grace and goodness for us. You want the gospel for us, but you also want it for others. And so we're asking for you to do something wild today as we worship, as we respond. Would you do both? 
Would you help us with what we've got going on in our own hearts? Would you help us to repent if we need to, to just say sorry? Would you help us to forgive if we need to? And would you help us to catch a vision about a relationship that can change the world? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.